0: I'm delivering. our Savior. I believe in God, our Father. I believe in Christ, the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God. I'm so, uh...
1: their life to Christ and is following through and identifying with Jesus. The scripture talks about baptism in several ways. It talks about baptism as being a symbol of, it's an outward sign of what has taken place on the inside of someone's life. And so we we have this I've accepted Christ and I'm following through with that and this is that outward piece. It also talks about baptism in in reference to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so when we place somebody in the water and they go under the water, it is like being buried. But then they're raised up like Jesus was three days later in that resurrection, raised up and into some life. Now baptism does not save you. This is, this is just water. It's the same water you have at home. It does not save you, but it is a symbol that salvation is taking place. So I don't want anybody to think that this water is some special means of extending grace. It is just an outward sign of what is already taking place. And so we've got um, we've got five people to baptize this morning. And so we're going to be blessed. We're excited about what God has done in the lives of these individuals, and continue to look for them to. Um, to continue to grow in their relationship with Christ, to express Him and be a witness for Him in our community. So, so, Ben and Son, would you come? on, it's, it's not easy. The water is not cold. Uh, it's not hot. So, let me move around here. Uh, this is Ben, Ben Colstead and, and Sutter is his oh, Son, and, uh, and they've come to Professor Christ. So, Ben, let me ask you a question. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I have. And based on that profession, we you know for certain that if you die today, you go to heaven. I do. And based on the profession of faith in him, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sir, and I know you probably can't see him, so. but I think he wants to be seen. Um, so let me ask you the same questions. Have you asked Jesus in your life if you were to be saved? And you know for certain that if you die today, you go to heaven and be with you. Can't. Okay, so I'm going to baptize you as my brother, but I also want to recognize the fact that Ben is the father of the family, being the spiritual leader, responsible for his family, has been baptized first, and, and so I want to recognize that. I also want to recognize that we have a children's ministry and a preschool ministry. I do know that you're here in preschool, but a children's ministry that speaks Christ and in truth into the life of these young people. So Sutter comes under that, and so with Pastor Isaiah, they get to learn about Christ and grow in Him. So, Sutter, let me let me turn you this way, and based on the profession of faith. In the name of the Father, i baptize you as my brother in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
2: All right. Uh, Cody, love you, man. Let's put your arms over here. By God own confess of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. service and he started coming to church here after that and I saw his dad praying healing and praying for him as he was giving his life to Jesus. And so um, we just celebrate this day with you. I know mean, you got a lot of family here as well. Neil, have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and his free gift of salvation? If you were to die today are you confident that you can go to heaven. All right. Come up here. Up here. By your own admission in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to pray real quick. Um, thank you guys for celebrating with us. Uh, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, God, we thank you for saving souls. God, we thank you for the regeneration and for the new life. God, uh, we celebrate that here today. God, I ask that if there's anyone that doesn't know you, who's not confident that they have received the free gift of salvation and eternity in heaven, to God this morning, Lord, that they would make that decision to follow you and that we'll be doing some more baptisms. So God, we just invite your Holy Spirit into this service. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're basically way to celebrate this
3: morning to see God bringing people to faith in Him and them stepping out of obedience in the baptism. But I know today we have lots of guests and folks who are here um, to see their family members and friends and loved ones be baptized. I just want to encourage you to check out um, our Woolens and Degrees and Archivists. You can give us some information just so we can follow up with you and know if there are any ways that we can serve you or pray for you or help you move forward um, in your own faith personally. Um, when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, there are many things that God's Word says that we are in Him. And if you've never explored that, I want to encourage you to do a Google search that says, You and I, Christ, and it will give you a huge list of scripture after scripture that tells you how you were forgiven, how you were chosen, how you inherit His kingdom. But perhaps one of my favorite that sometimes I forget about is that um, as a believer in the follower of Jesus Christ, I'm free. And many times we don't realize how enslaved to sin we become. Um, even as a believer, sometimes we allow ourselves to be shackled to that stuff. But here's what Jesus said uh, himself in John chapter 8. He says, If you if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then the folks that he's talking to, they say, But but Jesus, we're descendants of Abraham. And we haven't been enslaved to anybody. They're like, We've never been. A slave got never on shackles, I never to serve anybody else. They didn't quite get what he meant about being a slave to our sin. And he went on to explain, this says, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son, after all Jesus, son, sets you free, then you are truly, really free. Amen.
0: Let's sing the worship. The
4: good the highest
0: king would welcome me. I
2: was lost when he
0: called me, in his love for me. for his love
3: for us. God we love you, and I pray this is name. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, bro. And are you awake? <laughs> It is good to see you from down here. Uh, I know that it's been a very interesting and different kind of morning as we started with baptism, and I uh, hope that you are as excited as I am about that, and look forward to us doing that more often. Um, we're going to we've celebrated baptism. We're going to celebrate Lord's supper just a little bit, and I know you received those elements on the way in. Uh, I wish I could tell you exactly how those work, they are all self-contained, and so you will kind of navigate that as we go. Uh, But we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together in this little different form because of COVID. Uh, We've done it that way, so uh, looking forward to us celebrating the Lord's Supper together as a church family for the first time in a while. You know, we've been... I'm, I'm breathing a little heavy, and it's—I'm going up and downstairs to the baptistry and then back down to of the office. Um, I forgot to train so so I'm still catching up a little bit. Now we've been in COVID nineteen for about six months. In fact, it was right at the, the middle of March when we stopped doing services in person, went online, and have sort of navigated that. Now it's obviously they've been different as we've gone. Um, you know, whether it was from the living room or in here with an empty empty sanctuary, uh, we've done several different things regarding that. And I know if, if you're like me, um, uh, it's just been strange and difficult and hard to do. Uh, there are a lot of things that have changed. And, and I like you want Things to be in some semblance of order so that I can seemingly seemingly move on with my life. That's what I would desire, and I'm guessing you would want the same thing. You would want things to, to get back to normal. And this morning, what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about two questions that the Israelites had. We're going to go back to the book of Exodus. We're going to start in chapter 19. We're going to end up in Chapter 32-33 So, you turn to Exodus nineteen because they were asking the same questions that we would ask. There's essentially two questions that they are asking: um, when will it end? You can identify with that, right? When will it end? And you can make it about COVID nineteen. You can make it about racial tension. You can make it about political strife, and all those kind of things. But when will it end? So that's one question. The second question is, what is God doing? Now, is He even aware? Is He awake? Is God paying attention? Does it matter to Him about what's going on in the world around us? So we ask those two questions: When end and what is God doing? So we ask those questions and we struggle with those questions. And when there is a void in that answer, then we don't understand. So we strive and we push and we struggle and we question and we ask those kind of questions because it is natural for us to want to fill a void, any kind of void. I mean, if you think about it, think about um, families where, where the father is not present in the family. So what do we say is needed? We say the father is needed in that particular family because. There is something about the biblical nature of marriage where a husband and a wife are together and there's children. There's a learning environment that is the perfect environment that God created. So we'd say when the father is missing, there is a voice. We want the father to be in that picture. Or sometimes a surrogate in that, in that place. So that's, that's possible. And then there's uh, politics without transparency. We want transparency in what we see. And you can watch the news and it really doesn't matter what channel you watch, but you're going to watch that and you're going to say, I only believe this percentage of what is being shared. And there's a part of which you go, I'm not sure I believe that. Or, I'm not sure I believe this. You know, whatever it is, depending on what channel you watch, there's stuff that you cannot believe just about every week. And I, I just want to say... Just as a caveat to this, we're going to be voting very soon on um, presidents and governors and senators and all those kind of things. And I want to remind you of a couple of things. You have a responsibility to vote. That's your responsibility as a citizen of this country. Secondly, your vote is dependent on what scripture says, not on what is personally comfortable to you. So you hear me very clearly. When we talk about abortion, we're talking about murder, whether you agree with pro-choice or pro-life. I don't, I don't even care where you go on that. Well, I do, but but that's not where the decision is. The decision is what does God say about human life? Does God say it is wrong to murder someone? Is it does Psalm 139 say I knit you together in my mother's womb? And God was part of that process of developing you as a creature, as a human being. So vote accordingly on that. We can talk about sovereignty of a nation. I don't ever see Jesus in Scripture talking about the disintegration the or the elimination of the sovereignty of a nation. So he's, he's very much about And if you look all the way through, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, even in this section of scripture today, that the Israelites were a chosen people, and God was taking them to a particular land, and when they got there, when they were to arrive, they were to drive everybody else out. I mean, that was God's plan. It wasn't so that it could be uncomfortable for those who was driving out. It was because God called them to be a nation that would show who He is there was this sovereignty there. Now, granted, we are not the Israelites. And it's a different situation. But there's no disintegration of sovereignty within God's economy. And then law is the other thing that's in here. And then personal responsibility. We have responsibility to do all those things. And so when we talk about politics and transparency, we need to vote our conviction according to scripture, not our conviction according to personal design. Then the other place where it's natural to fill a void is when there are problems. Anytime there's a problem, the void is, who can I blame for this problem? And so we go down that road and there's actually a widening gap within our churches of those that are committed to church and committed to Christ there and those that are not. So there's a widening gap. David Kinneman said it this way. He works for Barna as, as part of that group. He said millions of young Christians admit that they've been frustrated with their faith because listen to this. This is what it says. God seems missing from my experience at church. That's an indictment. That's an indictment on the church that is too wrapped up in itself to proclaim Christ in a way that shows that God is still in the miracle-working business. I've I've been in email contact with someone recently that is seeking out what to do in a situation. And and it's it's been a a long, tight process. But it's somebody that is seeking God and what I would want that person to see when they walk in this place and be part of this family I would want them to see God at work in our lives not just a building full of people that seem to get along socially. I want them to see God at work. There's a widening gap between the supernatural the Bible and what happens in church and and just understand, maybe this is the simplest way to put it, it's not entertainment with substance. We're not here for entertainment. So as good as the praise man can be on any given Sunday, it's not about entertaining you. It's about going before the throne of God, celebrating who he is and worshiping you. And when we take it to the realm of entertainment, we've missed out on what God wants for We made it about us. So when there is a critical void, it will be filled with the most convenient alternative. When there is a critical void, it will be filled with the most convenient alternative. And I use that word convenient because it's like whatever's there, whatever's there, and whatever I like, I will flip into that void because I sense a void. Our challenge is to risk, resist the urge to fill the void with cheap, ineffective, and potentially harmful substitutes. Because we can do that. Exodus 19, when we get, if you'll turn there and look at it, um, Moses has got the people out of Egypt at this point, and they've done a little bit of travel, there's been some miracles that have taken place. And in chapter 18, we see that Moses is learning how to delegate some authority to those that are around him so they can properly judge the people that were not really a nation but are a nation at this point. And we get over to chapter 19, and we'll start at verse 1 um, in just a second. But they are camped at Sinai. That you say is that significant?
2: Do you remember where
1: Moses was when he received the call of God in the early village? Like this is his home front. This this Sinai area. He's very familiar with it. So he goes back to that place and I think God is is very intentional about bringing Moses and the people of Israel to that place because as the challenges of leading a group of two million people become bigger and more complicated Moses is going to need to remember his call to lead the people. So we get to that point. Because there is a, point number one, there is a conditional nature to our relationship with God. There's a conditional nature to our relationship with God. We say, well, I don't know exactly if I, see if I understand that. Well, listen to what he says in chapter 19. And, and we'll just, thing, we'll start at verse 2. It says, They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There, Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel. So he's getting specific instructions. You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So see what what God is telling them. Look at what he says. I bore you on people's wings. That's the idea of care and and working with them and comforting them and bringing them out and and protecting them. And then part of that conditional relational um, agreement between God and man is this idea of obeying his voice and keeping his company. It's a prescription for health. When we listen to God and do what he asks us to do, God protects and works in our lives. It's when we stray away from that, when we begin to do our own things, that we miss out on what God has for us. The beauty and glory of what he's about. And so we look at this passage and say, obey my voice and keep my covenant, and what will happen? There will be a treasure of possession." Now this is not treasured possession in the sense of slavery or I own you. It's not that kind. It's a, I'm willing to give my life to Christ and willingly submit to God. And he will, he will wrap his arms around me and values me. And so I become a treasured possession of God as I do this. It's a willing submission to being valued. It's the same kind of idea when we talk about a covenant marriage. When a husband and wife come together, they come into a marriage that is a covenant agreement, and they are mutually submissive to one another. We are missing out on that part, missing out on what Scripture teaches, but there's a mutual submission in that relationship. That's what takes place. And this is the same thing. It's the covenant that God had set up so that they would be a kingdom of priests. Essentially, they would have access to a holy God. And they would be a holy nation or blessed. So God's saying, if you do these things, then I am, I am more than willing to step in and do what I need to do as God Almighty. Because look, look what it says. It says that... Uh, that all the earth is mine and God is declaring who he is and how big he is. So regardless of their circumstances, God is God. And the dangers of not understanding the conditional nature of our relationship are pretty big. The first one is entitlement. God owes me salvation. God owes me blessing. God owes me whatever it is. And it's regardless of my actions. It's regardless of my attitude. It's regardless of whether I do what God's called me to do. That's called entitlement. And then there's also exclusion, the refusal to acknowledge the wisdom of God. Psalm ten four says this: "In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him." I'm talking about God, all his thoughts are there is no God. So we can determine to rely on our own wisdom and push God away and essentially practically live as if there's no God if we want to. But that's not what God's called us to be. God's directives are conveyed, and His people are to commit. That's what happens in in verse 8. Well, that same chapter 19, verse 8, it says. Um, all the people answered all the people answered together and said all that the Lord has spoken we will do that's a, that's a big statement isn't it have
2: you ever been in a place
1: where you, you felt the call of God you moved forward in some service or in some camp or a retreat or something you said I'll do whatever God asks me to do and it used to be when I was young in ministry in the 70s, weren't too far behind. It was like, I would wear a leisure suit, God, if you asked me to do that. And if we get to the place where we say, God, whatever you want to do in my life, and you can look in a ton of different ways what we talk about today. And I'll do whatever you want. That's what they're saying. I'll do whatever you want. And Moses turns around and he reports that to God. He said, "God, this is what he said He'll do everything. And then Moses has this meeting with God and begins to talk about the specifics of the covenant. Chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. And we can go through chapters 20 through 31 and see that God has some specific things for the nation to do and how they are to conduct themselves. And we we jump through and and, in... In chapter 24, there'll be another switch in this or a prescription for how they are to live. But Moses delays while is on the mountain. It takes a while for God to tell all this stuff to Moses. And so the people are at the bottom of the mountain, and Moses is on the mountain having this discussion with God. And there's an expectation that when Moses goes, that he's coming back quickly that's where we get into a little bit of trouble because when God is sharing with Moses and Moses is gone and the people are in their camp trying to figure out not just who God is but what they're supposed to do. There's a void. And they fill that. There's a critical void that is filled with a convenient alternative. And so the people approach Aaron. It's interesting that a group of leaders approached Aaron, but, uh, but I, I, and this is what I don't know because this is not what Scripture tells us. It doesn't say how many came to talk to Aaron. It just says that some of the people came, I guess, as representatives of the people, who came and talk to Aaron and said, Aaron, we don't know what happened to Moses, and we're concerned. In fact, we're more than just concerned because we could have died in Egypt just the same as we could die here. It's the same time. And Aaron gives them something to do. He says, take off your gold rings and your earrings and all those kind of things. And it says that Aaron fashioned a calf and said, this is your God. Now, when you look at this, they had lost confidence in Moses and God. And because there was a void, and it wasn't enough that God had already destroyed the idea of the Egyptian gods in the past through the the plagues, and then destroying the army of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. It wasn't enough that God did the miracles of giving them sweet water and mara. It wasn't enough that he gave them manna and quail. That wasn't enough for God to prove himself. They wanted God to be... Present at that point, and when there was a boy, they sought to fill it with something else. And God notices and tells Moses, says, You would believe the people that you're you too. He said, no. Mm-hmm. no. And so Moses ends up pleading for the lives of the Israelites. Without having gone back into the really camp, Cleaning for from their lives because God was ready to destroy the people. And He says, Look, they represent you. You brought them out of Egypt. What will people say if they are destroyed at this point? Let's say that you're not a good God. Let's say all kinds of evil against you. So God didn't destroy them. He said, Moses, back down. And essentially what the people were doing was come to Aaron and says, if you don't do what we say, if we can't fill this critical void with something that pleases us, essentially they're saying, I'm going to take my ball and go home. You've heard that. If I don't get my way, I'm going to do this. And it becomes a threat. Now, now granted, Aaron was complicit in this. As he listened to it, he he dealt with it, but also gave into it. Here's the warning out of chapter twenty-three, Exodus twenty-three. It says, "It says that when you go into the land, everyone else is supposed to be gone out of the land. When you finally arrive in that land of Hungry, everybody's supposed to be gone besides you. Because as you as you mix with those folks, the the other gods will ensnare you or become a snare to you. And what did they do? They created." Fashioned the golden calf and underfall, and it became a snare to the people. It's the idea that, that Grayson talked about last week about trying to be a slave to one thing and a slave to the other and not being able to ride the fence between being a slave to sin and a slave to God. Number two not just is a relationship conditional, but a compromised living is a trap people exerted their influences on Aaron and Aaron came. He gave in. There are two categories of compromise that I'm going to address very quickly. The first one is people pleasing. Isn't that what Aaron did? He was trying to please the people around him. I've got a quote in my office that says, never confuse the will of the majority with the will of God. Truthfully, leaders can be susceptible and vulnerable to this when they begin comparing circumstances. And i to just be very blunt. Every single church in our nation is dealing with COVID in a different way. And every single church in America is unique in its makeup. If it weren't, we would have one single church one single leader, and that will be the end of it. But God has given each church a particular personality, a particular character, and a particular mission on which it must pers- uh, mission in which it must pursue. We are unique. And so I cannot compare our response to COVID with the church that's 5, 10, 15, or 50, 500 miles away. I cannot do that, but I begin to do that. I'm starting to look to see what people I can please in leading. And no, no leader worth the salt needs to be doing that. Certainly we can learn from other churches. But we are not here to copy somebody else or to even respond to covid the same way somebody else did. Essentially, our schedule is going to be our schedule. And my heart has been to protect the congregation of Ebenezer from health issues. Whether you like it or not, because I know that there are, is a wide range of opinions in this room about coming to the building, not coming to the building, wearing masks, not wearing masks. And when we are not on the same page with that, in practical terms, we put everybody's health at risk. But when we are not on the same page in in that community of heart and mission, then we put the mission of God at risk. What does it do, what good does it do if we decide, hey, we're not going to adhere to this particular idea that is out there that we're trying to do as a congregation, and yet, somebody gets sick and infects, and in effect, so we have to shut everything down. What good does that do? Our our goal is to open up and be open completely, but we do that in a slow way, not in a people pleasing way. So, one of the compromises that's trap is people pleasing. The second one, second one is self preservation. That's rocking fear. And I can be right there. What happens if I don't make this decision? What person, person's family or group of families is going to leave the church because I'm not measuring up in my decisions to what they want? I've already told you that it's a very difficult situation and you know that from your heart and in your home. That none of this is easy. And yet, I've heard those kind of things. What happens if we do this? They won't come back. I can't worry about that. My concern is for the health of the church, the physical health of the church, and the spiritual health of the church. And putting those pieces together is difficult because there are 50 communities. Well, there's no matter in this room. And it's hard. And I'm not wine. I Deb and I were talking the other night about wine. And I asked her if <laughs> she wanted to a glass of wine. Now, just to be very transparent, we don't have any wine in our house. But I went about an empty glass, I went, it's so hard, and I just screamed into the glass and said, hey. It is a tough place to be. And it's a tough place for us to be as a church if we're going to be unified in this. And what God has called us to do, we've got to not be in a place where we're seeking to be pleased of ourselves or creating fear within the congregation. Self-preservation is the polar opposite to what Jesus his description of being a disciple is: He said, "Take up the cross." Luke nine twenty three. Take up your cross and follow me. Listen to the way that Aaron responded back to Moses. Now we know that he said, "Give me all your gold." He fashioned the calf. Well, but listen to how he said it in Exodus thirty two twenty four. So I said to the people: This is Aaron telling Moses what happened. Let any of you who have who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. And I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Yeah, you know, Scripture is full of hilarious stories and hilarious phrasing, and this is one of them. I just threw the gold, and I threw it in, and out popped this calf. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And yet that was Aaron's—that was Aaron's explanation of why people were where they really were. To compromise. The compromises that achievements grace. It abuses the mercy that God has bestowed on us. Compromise that he also weakens the gospel. It becomes a pale version of what is meant to be, be vibrant. Moses pleads for God's continued presence because of the value of being distinctly his. Exodus 33, chapter, verses 15 and 16. Moses said to him, if your presence, this is Moses talking to God, if your presence will not be with me, do not bring us up to you. For how shall it be known that I have faith in your sight and I your people? Is it not in going with us so that we are distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? We are a distinct group of people. Our church is to be distinct in his relationship to God. Well, we don't have a membership as part of a church because we are a social club with entry fees, annual dues, and quaint gatherings to impress you. It's not why we exist. We exist and have membership because we are distinct, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Our entry fee is surrender and salvation through Christ, Ephesians 2.8-9. And our annual dues essentially is daily, surrender, daily, follow me. And we gather because it's a place and a time for the corporate body to worship and lift up God's name, find comfort and not comparison. We're subject to having less patience with God when we don't see movement. So when there's a critical void, we will be filled with the most convenient and We must resist the urge to be filled with God's, or filled with God's substance. So what do you do? Because even knowledge of God can be a substance. What do you do? Simply develop spiritual disciplines. It's the step. we give you four things that This relates to and understand that they're called disciplines because they are hard. They're not called disciplines because they're fun or super easy. But here's four disciplines. First one is to spend time in God's Word. Our children and youth have quiet times along with their parents, and it is a set time to spend time with God. The only way you get to know the character of God that's in charge of everything. It's to spend time in his word, because in his word is his specific expression of who he is. We talked about it when he's not, that's not all of who God is, but it is what God has given <laughs> us to learn about him. And there's plenty there. To spend time in God's Word. Secondly, shun life without God's presence. We saw Moses do that. He says, if you ain't going, I ain't going. Shun the idea that. You can do things without God's presence. And recognize that God lives within you. He's present and lives within you by His Holy Spirit if you receive, if you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Thirdly, share your faith with someone. There's a large percentage of the church, and I'm talking about the Biblical Church, that says they are saved has never shared their faith with someone else. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I would encourage you to share your faith with someone. Now, judgment house is a vehicle for doing that coming up the end of October, but it is not one of the only vehicle. You say I'm doing judgment house; I'm good for the year. I understand, your responsibility is it, still in somewhere in those other 362 days of the year, 61 days in the year. You can still share Christ other places. To share Christ with someone, you. share your faith. And forth one squelch the urge to cancel. And you or your church fails, because we're not a perfect church. I'm not perfect in my leadership. Our staff is not perfect in our team leadership. Which is not. And if we fail, or if you fail personally, don't be part of cancer culture. Don't think that wipes out everything that you've ever done or anything that you've ever been. You see, when you fail, it does not wipe out your salvation. You are secure in Christ. It means you need to restore your relationship with God through confession. In 1 John 1 9, I confess my sins, He's faithful, just forgive me of my sin, and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Don't cancel everything. If the church seems to fail, and we will, don't cancel church. It's a trap. In fact, it's a trap to look for somebody to tell you what you want to hear. Why would I care? Why bother? We give you two things. The first one is the negative. Sending them to the mindset of cancer, cancer culture or heading down that direction with their attitude will injure your joy. It will decrease your influence. And it will forfeit God's best. God had a plan for the Israelites, and He wanted them to obey His commands and keep His covenant. God has a plan for us. Don't forfeit what God has in store for us by canceling everything. Second thing is the positive your life is meant to be rich and bring glory to God. You know, Moses' argument was that the people around Israel would see the God of Israel because they would commit to Him. And we can for our community and our region that when we have our minds set on Christ we can not just bring glory to God but we can be evidence of God's rich mercy and grace towards us this morning we're going to celebrate the Old and it is a picture of God's grace and mercy it's a picture of the shedding of blood that the broken body on Calvary what God has done for us to give us life. And so when we take those elements this morning, we're proclaiming the Lord's death, but we're also proclaiming the resurrection. Because it's in the resurrection of the told That was Peter's argument in 1 Peter. That has been Paul's argument in his letters. Is that everything hinges on the resurrection. If you stop at the death of Christ, you'd be missing the power that is contained within the empty And so this morning, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's about taking inventory of our own life, whether we've accepted Christ or not accepted Christ. It's about relying on God for what is ahead, not for worrying about what's behind. Because ultimately our look ahead is to eternal life, isn't it? I mean, some of us was like, hey, have you heard it said in the last six months, God would be okay if we came back today? For those of us in Christ, although we may miss out on something else down the road, we want this to be over. And we ask, first God? God is in the midst of all that he's doing. So, I want us to pray, right, and then we'll take part in the Lord's Supper and be dismissed. And when we're dismissed, I'm going to ask that you would take the, the cup and the it and those kind of things and take it to the back and throw away. That will just help the transition before our service. But this is our chance as a church family to come to the table together to celebrate the mercy and the grace of God. Father, I thank you for your love for us, your mercy, your grace. I thank you that you are a lover of our souls. Father, I thank you that you lead me. And Father, as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church family, Father, I pray that you remind us of the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. And then, Father, help us to represent and reflect the self-sacrificial nature of who you are. that you may be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In First Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes this to the Corinthian church, and it was a church that was, um, in many ways, at odds with one another. Uh, they fought and argued and talked about gifts and, and even that had an, an era of competition to it. But in chapter 11, Paul writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to, deliver to you. that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as you do, remember the body that was sacrificed on your behalf. So as you on to write verse 25 says in the same way he took the cup after supper saying this this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me you remember the the picture of the the Lord's Supper and what Jesus did he he led them to this and pointed all the way back to that time of the Passover Where the lamb's blood was put around the doorpost on the on the lintel, and the death passed over those homes that were marked by the blood. Jesus points back to that and says, "If your life is marked by the blood of Christ, death no longer has reign. You are new in Christ, and you have received eternal life." So as you consider what can place through the blood of Jesus Christ, go ahead and take cup. special. And I realize it's a little different the way we've done it this morning. But it gives us a chance to come to the table together. And I trust that if you are in here and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're unsure about that relationship with him, I would love for you to have that settled today. Those of us on staff, and there are others that are demons, in this room, there's some that'll be in the foyer on the way out. If you say, I, you know, I'm not sure that I know Jesus Christ is my Savior, and I want to know Him, if you would love to have that conversation, I would encourage you to do that. I'll be in here for a little while, and there'll be others that'll be around. You. I'd love to have that conversation and lead you to understand what it means to receive Jesus as your Savior. For those of you that aren't sure, that same invitation exist, to come to know Christ today, don't leave this property without knowing him as Savior, and for those of us that are Savior, where do we find ourselves in the story today? Most of us would want to be Moses. We want to be with God, face to face. Let's have a conversation with maybe see ourselves with some of the people, maybe the the unvoiced people that were besides those that came to Aaron. Very few of us would want to see ourselves as Aaron. Very few of us would want to see see ourselves as the one coming to Aaron and putting pressure on Aaron. Yet if reality kicks in for us, we could probably see ourselves in any of those four groups, any of those people. And at that point we have to stop and say, God, will you And Where do I need to adjust my life to your, your will, and your thought, and your care? So let's pray and we'll be dismissed. And it may mean that you need to stop and pray for a few moments. It may mean that you need to spend time this afternoon at home dealing with some of these some of these things and wrestling with. But I trust that as you rely on God and stop long enough to listen, God will do a work So that you will show us more and reflect this birth. Father, thank you this morning for who you are. Father, the the weighty circumstances of of this idea of critical void, Convenient alternatives Father affects us as we ask those same questions that the Israelites ask. So Father I pray that as we work through our life with you Father may you take us and mold us and shape us into the character of Christ that we may be a clear reflection of who you are to those around us, whether they be in our household or in our community. And out of that, uh, we pray that we would be glorified. We pray these things in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Guys, thanks for being here this morning, and, uh, and I'll see you in the morning.